is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. Today we're talking with communication expert Francis Cole Jones, author of How to Wow, Proven Strategies for Selling Your Brilliant Self in Any Situation. We're going to talk about the importance, of course, of reading others' body language and managing your own. If you're listening to The Art of Charm on the regular, you're no stranger to those topics. And we're going to talk about how to listen for intent as well as content, sort of deciphering the meaning behind what people are saying. A tip to increase listener buy-in of what you're saying from 60% to 94%, very specific numbers there. And how to tell your boss something negative about your past during an interview, ways to generate camaraderie, and the importance of your active listening face. This and more with Francis Cole Jones. And with that, welcome guys and gals to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have all of the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with The Art of Charm and get some stuff that we don't slash can't share on the show by signing up at theartofcharm.com. We'll also email you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language, nonverbal communication, persuasion, business networking, public speaking, negotiation, and a whole lot more. I'm also doing regular videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward every single week. I also want to encourage you to join our social capital challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed to 33444. That's charmed to 33444. It will make you a better networker. It will make you a better connector. And it's going to inspire more people to develop a personal and professional relationship with you. Of course, if you want some accountability, invite your friends as well. Theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed to 33444. All right, let's talk to Francis Cole Jones. First of all, thanks for coming in. I appreciate this because communication is something that we teach a lot at Art of Charm. It's something that I don't think you can ever be so good at it that you never need help with it anymore because communication changes. And as we get older, you know, we get confident in certain areas and maybe less confident in others, especially if we're in a time of transition. So I feel like this is a skill set that's really evergreen and also really, really crucial to success, so I really appreciate your time being an expert in this area. So tell us what you do in one sentence. I will help you present your best self in any situation. Sounds familiar to those of us that listen to Art of Charm. All right, perfect. Okay, of course I made you cram that into one sentence, but I think the key here that I've gotten from some of your work is that we have more control, especially in situations that seem outside of our control, job interviews, sales pitches, presentations, even potentially dating scenarios, which we can sort of stay away from here. And that anybody and everybody, of course, has the potential to be charismatic. This is a learnable, teachable skill, which is why we have jobs here at AOC and why you have a job as well. And um, this isn't something that you're born with. And it's definitely not something that you should uh, shrug off as something that you don't need no matter what stage of life you're in. So I definitely want to dive into this. And it looks like one of the first things that you teach is exactly one of the foundations of the art of charm, which is namely nonverbal communication, body language, managing your body language, reading others' body language. Is it something that you put a lot of emphasis on? 
I do. And, you know, one of the studies that I turn to, it's somewhat controversial, depending on, you know, how long you choose to spend on Google. Um, You'll find people who say it's absolutely untrue, but it's helpful. It was a study that was done at UCLA of the three components of your message. And what they discovered is that people actually remember only about 7% of what is said. So 38% of your impact is your tonal quality. And 55% is what your body's doing while you're talking. Right. This is a Moravian study. People poke holes in this a lot because, as you know, or as you might want, if you want to test it, you can, it's it's frequently miscommunicated. You can, people say, oh, it's 7% words, but then you put on a foreign movie where you don't understand the words and you see the body language and you hear the vocal tonality and you have no frickin' idea what's going on. (laughs) So it can't just be that, right? It isn't just that, but it is, it's just, you know what it is, use it as a tool for awareness and recognize that there are some things that you can do that are going to make you seem, for example, more trustworthy. One of the things I tell everybody is we trust you when we can see your hands and we don't trust you when we can't. And that's why, you know, one of the first things they say to the alleged criminal is put your hands where I can see them. So, you know, you are going into a job interview, you wish to appear trustworthy or a date or whatever, or a pitch meeting, I don't care what you're doing. Should you wish to appear trustworthy, keep your hands on the table. Yeah, not up in the air like you're under arrest, but somewhere on the table, right? <laughs> somewhere on the table, yes, please. I would imagine this is subconscious, right? We're not saying, hmm, I don't see his hands, so she must be up to something shady. Most of this is subconscious, however, I think what people don't realize is how strongly and quickly they are influenced. One of the things that I do a lot just for fun is if you've ever watched videos of people making a public apology and then watch them do it with the sound off. And what's really interesting is that you will be able to tell if in fact they are sorry. I think that's one of the reasons why. Tiger Woods' apology landed so poorly. Because if you watch that with no sound, he doesn't look sorry. And if you watch the Kanye West um, apologizing for grabbing the mic out of Taylor Swift's hand, again, not looking sorry. How can you tell that Kanye is not sorry? (laughs) If you look at the tape of him, And it's hard to find because they've taken it down. So you have to do a bit of searching. But if you watch it with the sound off, you'll see somebody who is leaning back in the chair. So all the way back against the back of the sofa and shaking his head no from side to side. Ah, interesting. And I would say also his facial expression to me looks a little bit angry. (laughs) But everybody can be their own judge. Right. He doesn't smile in photos ever, though, right? That's his thing. He always looks angry. Well, again, if I were working with him, should he have to apologize, I would help him find the happy. (laughs) Find the happy now. (laughs) Gotcha. Okay, so it's the shaking of the head no, or maybe sort of a dismissive body language or posture or facial expression. Honestly, sitting with your back against the back of the chair. And again, I I talk about this all the time, whether it's meetings or job interviews or whatever. The minute that you are lounging back against the back of the chair, you do not seem as committed. You don't seem like you want to be there. 
And so you really do need to, you know, I don't want you all the way on the edge of your seat, like, oh, you know, please pick me. But I do want the small of your back off the back of your chair. Interesting. And it's the, the, the same thing with leaning forward, being committed. You have to commit to the apology in this particular instance. You do. Where do you find yourself reading others' body language in a, the most useful way? Because it's, it's cool to see if people mean or don't mean an apology, but where does this come into play the most in your daily life, in your experience? I use it with clients quite a bit. I mean, I use it day to day, you know, with people, they say, and it's, again, you can, you can do some of this road work yourself, but they say that right before people tell a lie, they look down and to the left. We know that eye access and cues are not accurate. I will tell you, move through your life. And that is a one tell that I have found very useful. The eye access and cues, even though they're disproven. Just no, just the down and to the left right before people lie. Hmm, okay. Um, and again, a great place to see somebody do that is, I'm just spacing out on his name right now. Who was the candidate who was having the affair with the videographer? Oh my gosh, I don't know. You know, but anyway, and um, and they he went on and did one of the talk shows and was going on and on about, no, 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 he wasn't sleeping with her. And it's actually almost hilarious because every time he says no, he looks down into the left, so. Is that switched around if you're left-handed or right-handed? I don't believe so. Oh, huh, interesting. I'll have to look at that because I, I do know that all of the other eye access and cues have been proven to be completely random and kind of made up by a certain branch of maybe like irresponsible NLP practitioner types that aren't really even well-versed in their own pseudoscience. That said, you know, you do have to consider the fact that it's one of the reasons why poker players wear sunglasses, professional poker players because the eyes do have the ability to give you away. They do, but only against your own baseline, not against some sort of, okay, well, if he looks that way, he's got a good hand if he looks that. It's, we've talked about this with professional poker players here on the show. It's only against your own baseline. So you try to prevent other people from getting the baseline in the first place. Right, and then the other thing, again, just because it's interesting, and it's just, what my whole idea, what, you know, what I'd like people to think about is, just begin to pay attention. Yeah, if, if that's somebody's baseline, that's something that you need to know. If, mm -hmm. Figure out what your boss's baseline is. Figure out what your you know girlfriend or boyfriend's baseline is. Uh, one of the other things that is just an interesting thing to think about is that when they interviewed, was it who who shot Ronald Reagan? Oh God. <laughs> okay. okay. Jason will come back with it in a minute. Wasn't that John Hinckley Jr.? Yeah. yeah. All right. One of the things that he mentioned afterward, one of the things that he had found so disconcerting was that only because it was a sunny day were President Reagan's Secret Service wearing sunglasses. But when the people who debriefed him on his actions, I don't know if that's the FBI, whoever it might be, uh, one of the things that he kept saying was the sunglasses threw him off. He didn't know if they were looking at him or not. And it's since then become a mandatory thing for Secret Service to wear sunglasses. So just an interesting fact, something to think about.
<laughs> okay. Well, when we talk about baseline, what specifically are we going to look at? Let's say we're talking about our, our partner, our girlfriend, or our boyfriend. How are we getting that baseline? What factors are you looking for specifically? I'm looking for, again, where are they looking? Again, people who enjoy lying really, really like to look you right in the eye when they do it. So, I mean, I know that about a few, a few people that I, that I work with. That's something that they enjoy. They really make that earnest and meaningful eye contact. And then I'm just waiting for a doozy to land on me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I notice, you know, where people, you know, in terms of how are they crossing their legs? Are they crossed toward me? Are they crossed against me? Have, has the person created a barrier with their legs? So, Again, just something to keep in mind. I do pay attention to where people put their hands. Are their hands on the table? Are their hands in their pockets? Something to think about. And these are all taken in groups, right? It's not like, oh, their feet are pointing away from me. A lot of irresponsible sort of self-appointed body language experts say things like, oh, with, if their feet are pointed away from me, it means they want to go. But it doesn't necessarily mean anything at all unless it's in a group of other things. Maybe their arms are crossed and their feet are pointed away from you and they're not making prolonged eye contact and they're giving you short answers. Yeah, they probably want to go. But yeah. there are multiple reasons for everything. So it's, just, it's putting together the aggregate of things. Mm -hmm. Again, my whole job, and I think you know, what you guys are doing too, is essentially what is a body language expert? Anybody can become one. So, you know, enjoy a muzzle talk, just start observing your friends. Right. <laughs> Read a couple books, go overboard, accuse people of things they're not doing, et cetera, et cetera. You begin to notice patterns in people. Perfect. Well, we have the nonverbal stuff. We talk about it a lot at, at Art of Charm, especially in our toolbox. Uh, for new listeners, that's at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox. We've got entire multiple hour-long presentations on that subject. Let's talk about verbal communication. One of the distinctions that you make in your work is listening for intent as well as content. What is that and, and how do we train ourselves to do that and why is it important in the first place? I think the important thing about it is that very often, again, there is not a discrepancy, but there's an underlying layer to what's being said. So, you know, for example, you go in to talk to your boss about getting a raise. And, you know, if he or she is saying to you, you know, we're really sorry, we really just can't do it this year, but we're going to get around to it soon. Um, that, to me, tonality wise, does not sound like someone who actually feels regretful that you are not getting what you want. Right. Ending on that upward pitch, speaking a little bit almost whimsically about your request. And and frankly, like, you know, essentially with one foot out the door while they're talking to you. But if I were to say to you, you know, Jordan, I'm so sorry that we're not able to do this for you this year. And, you know, I would really, really like to be able to make it happen sometime in the future. And it's our hope that you would stick it out with us until that time, because I really value the work that you're doing. You're a good liar, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> but one person is kind of saying, oh, yeah, 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 no, we hear you, and we value you, and we'll get back to you. And the other person means it. So again, it's listening for what's underneath. It's also a really useful thing if you're trying to diffuse someone who's angry or upset. And, you know, they're saying to you, 
whenever this happens, you do this and you do this and you do this. And rather than getting caught up in the particulars, because that can go nowhere of rebutting every accusation that's just been made, you can say to someone, you know what, what I'm really hearing and what I'm getting from you is that you're really angry and you're really frustrated. Am I right about that? And at that point, they're like, yes, I am. Okay, but now they're agreeing with you. And as small as that is, that's one small step toward the two of you working together toward a shared goal. So I work with clients a lot on listening. What is the emotion underneath what's being said? And sometimes you speak to that. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense. In fact, this is, and I'm no expert on this particular subject, this is one of the areas where people on the autism spectrum have trouble because they're listening for content only in many ways, and forget forget autism, engineers like my dad have the same issue. They're like, well, you said this, and it's, well, that was sarcasm. Well, how am I supposed to know that? And for some people, the tonality and the rest of their nonverbal communication make it really obvious. However, for many of us, we have to learn that, and some people who, quote unquote, have analytical brains or are used to dealing with analytical problems that are sort of content-based, listening for intent, it's like listening for Chinese. It's just not something that hits the filter very easily. It is, I mean, it's just something that it's good to know that it's an area you need to work on. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data. And a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. 
But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, it's a great, great, great problem-solving tool. If you can flag the emotion underneath something, then you can actually get to the heart of what's going on. You know, if you are in a fight every single week with your partner about, I don't know, whatever, who cares, uh, taking out the garbage, just for the most cliched example, if you can in that moment say, it seems to me that this is less about the garbage and more about you feeling like I don't pay enough attention to the requests that you make day to day. And again, so now you're in an actual conversation. Otherwise, it's like, no, because last Tuesday you didn't do it. And then, and, you know, and then, oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you just want to go out with yourself with the garbage. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do we begin to develop this habit? What if we're sitting here thinking, okay, I'm definitely one of these people who has trouble listening for intent versus listening for content. How do I start listening for intent if I find myself, if I find that challenging? I think it can be helpful to begin to ask people that you trust to, you know, to say to them, I'm going to, as you're talking, double check and say things to you, which seem, might seem incredibly obvious to you, like, wow, you sound frustrated right now, or wow, you sound, you know, but I just want to make sure that I'm hearing, again, the emotion and the subtext to what's occurring. And, you know, Again, test your hearing, test your oral reflexes on people that you can trust to not get weirded out by this new game that you're playing. And then from there, you'll begin to trust that judgment and that new set of ears that you've got. So almost approaching it from a scientific perspective as well. Like, okay, here's what this person said. Here's what I think I read from their emotion or their nonverbal communication. Let's make a note of that mentally or even in your phone someplace. And okay, did that turn out to be correct? Or you can even ask questions like, all right, I don't wanna seem this way or I don't wanna make you restate the obvious, but do you mean that or is that sarcastic? Or so when you say that, are you serious about that? Because I really need to know what's going on here. You don't have to sugarcoat it for me. And a lot of times, I know me personally, when I ask that, a lot of people will go, well, yeah, truth be told, we just don't have it in the budget right now. And then you're like, oh, well, why didn't you say that? Well, you know, I don't wanna, I don't wanna make waves. And you're like, well, okay, I need you to make waves because I'm dense, right? So we can start to make others communicate more clearly until we realize, okay, when I feel like this is what they're communicating and I turn out to be right 90% of the time, now I can rely on that. Right, and it's actually, you know, frankly, you can do it all the time with anybody because it's a great way to make people feel understood and heard. If someone's in the middle of going off about something, you just say, like, I'm going to stop you for a second because I just want to make sure I'm getting everything. So if I understand you correctly, 
this happened and happened and this happened and that happened and this happened. Am I forgetting anything? No. Okay. And, you know, but again, it's nice because the person that's talking really, really all of a sudden feels like, gosh, that Jordan pays attention to me. Little do they know. It's a little, little tricky hack. But you'll, you know, as you know, and, you know, very often someone will be telling a story, you know, oh my God, this happened and this happened and, you know, whatever. They just dragged a dumpster down along three panels of my car and you finish speaking and your friend goes, oh my God, well, one, one time this happened to me. So there's no recognition of the story that you've just told. So, I mean, it's a technique called looping. And if you can begin to loop people back, Again, I guarantee they're going to just think you are extraordinary. Can you go over what looping is, again, specifically for people who are zoning out or driving and are like, wait, what was that? Oh, I need to know that. <laughs> so looping is, you know, you if you started telling me a story about anything, whatever it might be, and then I would loop back what I believe I heard you say. Can we try it? Let's try yeah, it. Yeah, please, let's do it. Okay. The, I'll tell you a little story. That's probably a little boring and you can just, you can loop it back and we'll talk about why that worked and, and why you chose what you chose to say. So this morning I went for a bike ride and it was awesome because it didn't rain and there was nobody on the trail and I got a really good workout and then I went out to lunch. So I just, I'm going to stop you for a second because I want to make sure I understood everything. Uh, you were, you got up this morning and jumped on your bicycle and the weather was clear and the path was empty. So you were really able to go at your own pace and enjoy your workout and feel your heart beating and have some solitude and enjoy nature. And then once you were finished with that, lo and behold, it was lunchtime. Yay. And you could go right out and have a lunch to recover from this bicycle ride. Yeah. So you said it even better than I did, which I think is useful. <laughs> and I kind of expected that. That's the reason I gave such a pedant, like pedestrian example, because there's a pun in there with the biking and the pedestrian thing. Anyway, the reason I did that and the reason I think it's important is because when I find myself doing this looping looping technique, especially with people who are a little quiet and I feel like I'm dragging the words out of them, when you tell it better than they can, it lets you fill in emotion where they might not have communicated any, even though you're kind of maybe just guessing. Maybe I was in an urban trail and maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't like get any solitude whatsoever, but they, then they can correct you and keep the conversation going. Because I feel this is a useful tool when somebody maybe isn't as communicative as we want or when their communication is actually confusing, either because it's too short or because it's too jargony or for some other reason. Yeah, and, and or if they're really, really angry. Because when people get angry, they get really monosyllabic. So to loop somebody in that point, you know what? They'll be angry enough to correct you. And then again, you begin to hear a little bit more about, okay, there's the problem that you're talking about, and then there's an underlying layer of what's going on. So, And we clarify that layer, that underlying layer for them, and they can either correct us or agree with it, which it seems like puts them back into a logical mode of communication, especially if they're really emotional, angry, whatever, which is good because then it tempers their emotion a little bit, hopefully. Right, and, and as I said, some people just feel better when they correct you, so... So they get the opportunity to say, no, what I meant to say was blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay. So I'm glad you told me that. <laughs> One of the things that I found interesting in your work is you've got language which 
you assert, increases listener buy-in from 60% to 94%. One, I want to know what that is and how did you get those numbers so precisely? That actually was from the because phrase is what we're talking about. Ah, okay. Can we explain what that is and and why that works? Because that's that's a big jump. This This isn't my work. This is Ellen Langer, who's a social psychologist at Harvard. Um, And she did a study that showed that there's one word that increases the possibility of cooperation from 60 to 94 percent. And that word is because always giving people the because behind why you're doing something or why you're making a request of them. Is this that study where they had, I guess, the students or the kids or the researchers saying, hi, can I cut in line in front of you? And people would be like, no. And then they would say, hi, can I cut in line in front of you because I have a deadline or because I need to do this? And they found out that having a reason after because turned out to almost be not even relevant. You know, can I cut in line? This is due really soon. Sure, of course, most people would think I would let that person go too. But you can even say, can I cut in line? because I want to, and they'll go, uh, okay. It just turned out to be like this magic password that got you what you wanted, at least up to the 94% compliance rate compared to 60%. Is this the same study? It sounds like the same study. Um, you know, again, it's what I always tell my clients is, you know, you're at the supermarket and someone cuts the line and you're angry. But if they say, do you mind if I cut the line because I'm late to pick up my kids at school, you're going to let that line cut go. So, yes. (laughs) So, yes. (laughs) You know, very often people are concerned about going on job interviews and being asked a question to which they don't have the answer, right? But if you said to your interviewer, I'd like to think about that for a second because I want to be sure to give you the best answer possible, who's mad at that? A job person is like, I can't believe that guy you wanted to give me the best answer possible. What a jerk. Yeah, you want to give definitely give the because in that scenario. Now, when we're talking with other people and when we're communicating with other people, you've mentioned active listening and you mentioned something called the active listening face. What is that? Because I'll tell you, I never think about my facial expression when I'm listening to somebody. I don't think I've ever thought about that. Here. Okay. Um, I'll try to talk you through it. Some people, when you're talking to them and they just, they go completely flat. Yeah. I think I'm related to most of those people. Right. And it's what, you know, and I don't know if we're allowed to use the B word on your podcast, but it's called resting B face. Yeah. Let's call it resting B face. But we all know those people who have that face and, you know, it's not fun to look at and it doesn't give anything back to you. So what I want is when you're listening, I really want you to have an engaged face. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be smiling or nodding, but it just does need to be leaning in and to, you can smile if you want to, you can nod if you want to, but just to allow people to know that you are paying attention and that you haven't just gotten lost in the vortex of your own thoughts. I I guess we can't really do an active listening face (laughs) on the radio, but I think that that does make sense because for most of us, if I look like I'm concentrating, that's fine. But if I look like I'm bored and that's just the way I always look, or if I look like I'm angry or not agreeing with you and that's the way I always look, that's bad, of course, because when someone's communicating with us and when we're communicating with them, we're filtering that communication through our own emotional state at the time and our own emotional filters at the time. So if I think, well... 
you know, Francis might not like this idea, but here goes, and you've got your resting bee face on. I, I just, I'm just thinking, well, of course, I was right. She's not even listening to me. She just already, she already had her mind made up before I even opened my mouth. And uh, even though that might not be how you're feeling at all, you just didn't put any thought into how you look when you're receiving the information. Right. So I think an active listening face, it's, it's an astonishing thing how it, you know, how far it will go to help others continue to express themselves and tell you maybe more than they would have to begin with. And, you know, there are some exercises you can do to wake up your face, which I do make all of my clients do. And I do myself before I go on television. I don't know if anyone has been had any exposure to acting classes, but if you have, it's usually known as the pumpkin raisin face exercise. Have you bumped into this? Yeah, can you explain it in an, on radio without showing us your pumpkin raisin face? Is that something that you can teach? So what you do in the beginning is you make your face as big as a jack-o'-lantern. So you open your mouth as wide as you can and you open your eyes as wide as you can and you just go for that kind of crazy howl kind of a face. But prisoner face, the maximum yeah. security prisoner face, got it. Like you're screaming. And then the next thing you do is you tighten up every single muscle as much as you possibly can. So your face looks like a teeny tiny wizened little raisin. And if you do that, you know, five or six or eight or 10 times, you'll notice you do, you have so much more mobility and so much more expression in your face. So I highly recommend that. You know, again, very often these days, people do job interviews on Skype. So do your pumpkin raisin face exercises ahead of time, and you're just going to look that much more animated and that much more appealing to the person you're talking with. Just don't do it while you're talking with them. No, before. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely could go over poorly. Jason, are you doing this right now? You're doing the pumpkin raisin face? I was totally doing it while you guys were talking about it. It was great. It good feels stuff. good, right? Yep. I think I just shot, I threw my headphones off, but. <laughs> it feels weird, um, but it feels good. The other thing that's just fun to know, and again, this isn't a study that I did or I was done, it's in Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, but it was done at the University of Chicago. It's just an interesting thing to note. Um, they told two groups of students that their tuition would be going up. And with both groups, they used exactly the same language. And with one group, while they were speaking, they were nodding their head up and down. They were saying, you know, your tuition's going up and this is why and blah, 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 blah. And, and with the next group, they gave, again, the exact same language, but they were shaking their head from side to side as they gave that information. And what they did is they polled the students afterward and the students who had gotten the nodding, you know, while they were getting, were like, that's okay, we get it. It seems like a reasonable, you know, price increase. And the students who had gotten the, you know, head shaking were like, this is ridiculous. And it's something you'll notice. Hopefully you won't be in a courtroom, but you'll notice if you watch any of the kind of the crime shows, whenever the attorneys do their summation arguments, you'll notice that they all nod. And that is definitely a trick that's being used to get the jurors to believe that what they're saying is plausible. Sure. I am an attorney. I've definitely done closing arguments where <laughs> I walk up close to the jury box when it's something I need them to remember. And I walk back and I'm nodding my head when I'm trying to get them to buy into something. I used all kinds of nonverbal communication when I talk to juries. And a lot of times you can tell they're just like, I trust this guy. And I have my witnesses do it, too, um, which is kind of 
it's not unfair, but I mean, I'm supposed to advocate, but at the end of the day, if, if you know this stuff and opposing counsel doesn't, it's their problem, right? It can definitely make a difference. When I was in law school and we had mock trials, we actually had, we had cameras in the jury room and over and over again, the juries would say, oh, I trusted that guy, I trusted that lawyer, I trusted his witnesses more than everybody else. And we always just crushed it. And, it, and a lot of it came down to nonverbal communication. So much fun. That's what I, I love about it is that the more you watch, the more you're going to learn. And the more you learn, the more, again, the more in control you're going to be. So it's just great and interesting all day long. Can we use this persuasive technique and this nonverbal communication to generate camaraderie at work, among our friends, even within our family? Are there ways we can utilize this for those purposes? Yeah, I mean, I think you can use it with anybody, anytime. Um, there are ways to actively create camaraderie in meetings. So, you know, and one of the simplest ways to get people to like you is to write down what they say when they say it, because, you know, it makes the person who's talking feel important. You know, if you are in a job interview or if you're in a meeting and you want, you know, your boss to think you're really paying attention for you to, you know, be taking notes furiously while they're talking, you're like, that Jordan really was paying attention to me. <laughs> Again, I like him. That's an easy thing to do. One of the other things I talk about is if you're going into a, a meeting or an interview and they say, you know, do you want coffee or water or anything? I always want people to accept because there's something about sharing that that activity that puts you on a more equal footing. You know, I don't want someone to say, yeah, I'd like a half calf mocha, you know, frappuccino with six blendas. No, but yes, yes, thank you. You know, it's a nice thing to do. Okay, so we're, we can write down what people say. I like that, but you can write down anything. Oh, yeah. You can just draw. Well, not if they can see your notes. Okay, well, obviously, if they can see your notes, <laughs> no, that won't work. Now, my brother, you know, speaks Russian, and he used to sit there and write terrible things in Cyrillic so that people, you know, but they thought he was busily taking notes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, <laughs> especially if you can write in a different alphabet your, your money. <laughs> or just really messy cursive like me. Yeah. How else can we generate that trust, that camaraderie, or the likability? I like the writing things down. I can definitely see that working on me and others. I think that, you know, it's, again, it sounds incredibly pedantic, but if you're going in for a meeting or an interview, I want you to pick three small talk topics ahead of time. Because, you know, you can have a really, really good meeting and your adrenaline is up and blah, blah. And then you, they say, oh, let me walk you to the elevator. And you're standing there waiting. And you just pick a topic out of thin air because you're tired and you know, guess the adrenaline is now wearing off. And you can just watch the whole thing explode in your face. So <laughs> I want you to have that kind of in your back pocket. I know you train a lot of folks with interview tactics and things like that for promotions, for jobs. You even have an app on the iPhone, which is free, and we'll link to that in the show notes, to kind of go over nightmare scenarios or stumbling blocks that people might hit during job interviews. But one question I have that I've gotten from a fan recently, and me not having a real job over the last maybe basic decade here, I'm not in a position to answer it, but he had something happen in his past that was negative. He gotten fired from his last job. It, it was for various reasons that were, that were pretty bad. I think somebody he was dating that he worked with, she had stolen something and he was with her at the time. I don't know if he knew about it or not. And now he's looking for a new job and he's like, I've got to fill this two, three year gap in my resume 
and I have to tell them something about this, how do I handle that? How do we tell a prospective new employer something negative about our past, especially something really negative like a dismissal or termination? I think there are a few things you want to keep in mind. The first is, you know, very often you'll sit down in an interview and your interviewer will say to you, so, you know, Jordan, where shall we begin? I really recommend if you've got something funky in your past that you open with it. So I would say, you know what, Francis, if you look at my resume, you'll see that I was terminated from my last job. So I'm sure you have some questions about that. Why don't we start there? What that does is now you're not waiting to be pounced on. Okay, you're in control of the situation, you're running the table. And you know, you've been frank and you're going to get points for that. When you do talk about whatever it is that occurred, you know, you you want to be very factual. So just to use the example that you gave, you know, in my last job, I was at the time dating someone unbeknownst to me, well, she stole X. What occurred was, you know, my boss rightly felt that because I had been present and he didn't know whether or not I was complicit, made the decision to terminate me. You know, what I learned from that experience is, well, for starters, I broke up with her. Um, But, you know, going forward, what I've learned from that is to, if I'm in a situation of that kind again, I need to, you know, if I have the opportunity, alert my boss to what happened. You know, a lot of people adopt Uh, gosh, I hope they don't find out, you know, and what I tell everybody is hope is not a strategy. So you need to be proactive. But when you are in that situation, tell the story of what occurred, and then talk about this is the lesson I learned. And that becomes the conversation. So you can start it off that way. And that way, you're doing it on your terms. There's no real way to deliver this any smoother other than Because otherwise it's going to come up or worse, it won't come up and they'll just find it later if they didn't find it and they'll go, oh, well, I guess that disqualifies this person. We didn't notice that. And they'll knock you out without you ever having a chance to speak about it. Right. So meet it head on. Meet it head on and be scrupulously honest about what occurred. Because, I mean, what's at stake here is usually, you know, it is a conversation around honesty. So if they get the sense that you're hedging or lying or whatever then of course they're not going to believe you. You know, if it's something, you know, for example, say you were caught taking money at your last job and now, you know, you could say, this is what occurred. I was terminated. I've obviously learned a lesson from that. I recognize that if you hire me, you're not going to want to put me in charge of the cash drawer the first day. I get it. And, you know, my recommendation would be just so that you feel comfortable until we get to know each other and you can trust me that you put some kind of system of checks and balances in um, until we've gotten over this hump. But be forthright. Again, talk about the lesson you've learned from it and hope for the best. What I really do know is that more people than you would believe have a similar story of their own to tell. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at theartofcharmpodcast.com.